This is a case from the Mumonkan. <coughs> Sejo's soul is separated. The case. Goso asked the monk, Sejo and her soul are separated. Which one is the true Sejo? Mumon's commentary. If you realize the true one in this, you will understand that getting out of one husk and entering another is just like a traveler staying at a hotel. If you have not yet realized it, don't rush about wildly. When earth, water, fire, and wind are suddenly about to decompose, you will be like a crab which has fallen into boiling water and is struggling with its seven arms and eight legs. At that time, do not say, I didn't warn you. The verse. The clouds and the moon are the same. Valleys and mountains are different from each other. All are blessed. 10,000 times blessed. Is this one? Is this two? So a couple of weeks ago, we concluded our fall ango training period, and we focused on examining, recognizing hindrances, obstacles in our lives, and learning how to work with them in, in real time, or maybe in a more dynamic way. And after spending three months examining hindrances. I think we can all agree that this is a very muddied topic and at the same time an incredible portal to understanding how to be more buoyant, more adaptable as we move through life. In studying how we get stuck, we have the opportunity to come in touch with an innate potential to be nimble. And of course, when this potential is actualized and embodied, the entire world benefits from it in numerous ways. So it's clearly a very important aspect of practice we should always stay engaged with beyond three months of ango. You know, hindrances show up in many ways for each of us, depending on our life, personal circumstances, history, emotional, psychological, physical state, and our karma. But there's an underlying barrier that is essentially universal and gives sense to the of solidity and stagnation to all personal barriers. And of course, it's the issue of duality, or the mother load of our greatest fears and highest barriers. And the Quan system is one of the unique ways, unique tools 
of the Zen tradition to, to address this issue. It shows us how we get drunk on the liquor of duality. And it offers a way to become sober. When I, and I touched on it, this subject, during the, the Zazenkai's Teisho, in connection with the teaching of non-duality from the Shinjin Mei. And I was, I was hoping, actually, there'll be more of you that will engage with that topic and during the Dharma encounter, but we mostly stayed away from it. So I thought it'd be good to explore this using this koan. So to, to reiterate what I said at that Teisho, everyone can cut one to two, but very few can cut two to one. Right? How do we cut everything to one thing? Right? Because if we want to not get stuck we must do that. We have to go into all manifestations and see that all manifestations are pretty much always manifesting the same thing in different ways. Otherwise, life becomes very quickly unbearable and quite hindering. You know, we're very good at chopping reality to many fragments, create gaps, alienate ourselves and others, and discriminate based, off our, based on our fictional, made-up dualities. And the question is, how do we change this habit? How can we merge with essential, fundamental unity and allow this merging to propel us in life. How can we live in a more unified way? So to point at this issue of duality and merging, in this koan, Master Goso is using an old Chinese legend of the Tang period. The story of Sei. And Seiju actually literally means the girl, Sei. It comes from an old Chinese legend and I'll tell the story, but we're all on the same page. So once upon a time, in the province of Ko, there lived an old man named Chokan. Chokan loved his daughter, Sei, very much. She was very beautiful, and Chokan used to tease her when she was still a child, saying that her beauty matched that of her cousin, the handsome Ochu. Just about th that time, the time that the two cousins realized that they were in love, Chokan announced his choice of another man as a husband for, for Sei. The young lovers were heartbroken. Ochu left the town, setting off in a small boat. He had rowed a distance when he noticed someone running along the bank, waving to him, to his joy, he found out that it was Sei who had followed him, and that the two of them decided to travel to a far-off land and 
make their life together there and leave their families behind. A few years later, when Say had become the mother of two children, she realized for the first time how deep her parents' love was or is. And then she be it began to bother her. She began to think about the way she treated her beloved parents, her husband, Ochu, who also regretted what they had done to Chokan, suggested that they return to their homeland and ask for forgiveness. When they arrived at the province of Ko, Sei remained on the boat while Ochu, the husband, went to apologize to Chokan and tell him what happened. So he went to the house, got in, sat down, told the story, and after the, the old man listened to the story, he was stunned. And he asked Ochu, whom was he talking about? The young husband replied, your daughter, Say, of course. So the father looks at him and says, but Say never left home. Shortly after you went away, she became ill and she's still confined to bed. She's still depressed, the father said. She hasn't uttered a word since you left. You must be mistaken, Ocho replied. Say followed me and we went together to a different country. We got married, we have two children. She's in excellent health and wants to see you again and ask for your forgiveness for running away and marrying me without your permission. If you don't believe me, come down to the boat and see for yourself. The old man was reluctant, so Ochu went along, went along to bring Sei back to her father's house. In the meantime, Chokan went into the bedroom to tell the sick Sei what had happened. Without a word, the sick one arose from her bed and rushed out to meet the other approaching Sei. And the two became one. They approached each other, one from the bed, the other one from a distant land, and they merged to one. Chokan said to his daughter, ever since Ochu left, you have been dumb and lifeless, as though your soul had fled. Say told him, I didn't know I was homesick in bed. When I heard that Ochu had left, I followed his boat as if in a dream. So that's the story. Two that became two of one and later on became one again. So looking at this story, Master Gosso says, Sejo and her soul are separated. Which one is the true say? Is it the one sick in bed? Depressed? Or is it the one who traveled to make a new life, to get married, to have children? This is just an old Chinese story that maybe you find interesting, maybe not. But that's not the question. The real question here is, is really not referring to Seijo. It is really referring to us and it's asking you, who is the real you? And this question comes up often for practitioners. 
especially after spending a few days at Sashin, maybe experiencing some sense of relief, expansion, feeling more at ease, more connected to reality, maybe less concerned about everyday life, everyday challenges. And then a few days later, it changes. Life becomes a lot more heavy, muddied, challenging. Everything becomes stickier. Who are you? Are you the one who felt a week or two ago light, buoyant, flexible, easygoing? Or are you the one who feels stuck, taking life very, very seriously? Who is the real you? What makes the difference? And it could be dizzying, actually, and confusing to go back and forth between expansion and contraction. Now I'm this, now I'm that. Now I'm stuck, now I'm flowing. And how is it, how can it be that we feel one thing and we are convinced that that's how it is and we think it's going to be this way and when we're not, after that, a week or two later, it's no longer that. And we are at that time convinced that that's what's happening. Is it the luck of the dice? Is it by chance? Is there anything we can do about that? Or we just live in the wind? You know, from my own personal experiences and also working with a lot of people, I've learned that maintaining a, a committed and sustained practice has great impact on the way we meet circumstances. When we stay engaged, our ability to remain expansive and magnanimous deepens greatly. And we are more likely to see the big picture, to not get caught up. Not that we don't run into challenges, obviously. It's just that the way we meet challenges is different. And when we don't maintain and sustain regular ongoing practice, something in us starts to fall asleep, starts to disintegrate. It's quite amazing. When we sustain regular practice, it makes perfect sense to show up on a regular basis, no matter what. But then life happens, right? And it starts to take us away, and we start to believe it. No, no, now I have something really important I got to take care of. 
and we take care of it. And then there's another important thing to take care of, and we take care of that. And then there's another one. So I'm not going to come today, and I'm not going to come tomorrow. I'm not going to come the day after. And a week or two or three or a month later, I don't have the time to practice anymore. I don't even want to practice anymore because look at my life. It makes no sense to practice. It's a waste of time. And both make perfect sense. When we practice regularly, it makes perfect sense. When we don't, it makes perfect sense. So when people lose the momentum or the enthusiasm, I understand. Because it does make sense to not practice. question is, what are we nurturing when we don't practice and what are we nurturing when we are practicing no matter what? What do we teach ourselves? It's like there are two voices within us. One says, go practice. And the other one says, go do something else. What do we listen to? Staying engaged in practice requires discipline. And life tends to erode that discipline. It's just the way it is. It's not personal. It's not against anybody. It's not for anything. It's just the way it is. I said many times, there's no part-time practice. It's either you give it all or give it up. And we have to give it all. Because if we don't, life will suck you up, take you into it. And then we drown in the sea of yes and no. And when people ask to take Jukai, and those of you who have been here for a while know that many that have taken Jukai no longer practice. And it's not just here, it happens in many Sanghas. When people ask to take Jukai, they are very convinced and very committed that they will uphold those precepts. They feel very strongly about it. They feel very strongly about sustaining the three treasures, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, doing everything they can, no matter what happens. And then again, life shows up. And it shows up in many challenging ways that threaten to corrode and erode the commitments. And then the priorities very quickly change. 
from I'm going to do this for the rest of my life to, well, yeah, I, I know I felt this way back then, but now I feel something else. Who am I? This one or that one? You know, we all have the capacity to, to, to lead a flowing and, and wholesome life and to avoid following harmful tendencies and to do good. But when we don't take the time to, to connect and to merge it all, and to merge it all means to not leave anything behind. It doesn't mean to go against everyday challenges or everyday responsibilities. It actually means to merge it all through the practice. It means to not have to choose, ever. Even when we make a choice to show up, we don't choose to leave everything else behind. We show up with everything, with the challenges, with maybe the trepidations, with feeling discouraged, which just ha happen often to everyone. But we bring it with us to the cushion. We sit down, we examine it. And we have the capacity to, to work with that, to transform harmful tendencies, to connect and to merge with a, an amazing capacity to include everything. But if we don't take the time to connect, if we don't work on the discipline, it's just, it's there, it just remains dormant, inactive. <clears throat> or we may have a faint recollection of a true and unified sense of self. But it doesn't mean a whole lot. Or maybe we experience it intermittently. And it feels good for a little while. But then very quickly, we become separated again from it. <clears throat> and what we need to do, what the practice actually is designed to do, is to nurture that in us that knows how to be merged, how to be unified at all times. So the practice is designed to do that, but the practice without a practitioner is not a practice. Remember my experiences with, with Buddhism. You know, my interest in Buddhism actually arose when I was about 15 or 14. I felt gravitated to look up books about Buddhism. It was actually a challenging thing at the time. Growing up in Israel, not a whole lot was translated to Hebrew. Not a whole lot was, my English wasn't that great. Also, not a whole lot was uh, imported to Israel. I was able to, and of course, no internet. 
I was able to find some literature, and I, was re I would read it, but didn't really understand much about what it meant. But I did know that there was something in me that is searching for that. There's something in me that knows that there is, that those books are pointing at something that I resonate with. But I couldn't put my finger on it. And it wasn't just intellectual curiosity, it was way deeper than that. It was an unexplained sense of familiarity, affinity with the teachings of the Buddha. And I felt a very strong need to explore it. And then, of course, that tendency, that something within me led me later on to, to my 20s to travel, I end up in, in Thailand. And I had the opportunity to spend a few days here and there, or actually a few days and then later on uh, longer periods uh, at some monasteries. And when I, I meditated with some monks there, I felt that there is something that I'm, that's something going on there. But again, I couldn't put my finger on it. I could not understand what was going on. And at the same time, I knew that something in me recognizes that as home. And it took a long time to, to bridge that gap between what I'm looking at or what I'm hearing and what I'm feeling. There was a gap. There is a gap. There is a gap between what brought us here, right, to begin with, what, brought, what brings us to practice centers and what we encounter at practice centers. And over time and practice, dedicated practice, that, those gaps actually shrink and shrink and shrink and it becomes much more seamless. But it does take time. And it does take dedication. And it actually does take one thing. It does take the willingness or our willingness to work with moments or periods of frustration. Knowing that, knowing how to not allow those moments of frustrations, frustration to, to knock us down, to rob us out of the commitment to practice. And someone asked me a couple of weeks ago if I, from time to time, lose the, well, maybe not the commitment, but lose the, become discouraged. Not, not feel as encouraged. And of course, I said, of course I do. We all do. But what I've learned over time through practice is those moments or those periods of feeling discouraged are actually amazing fuel and nourishment for deepening. In Aikido, we call it a plateau. Right? And I think we, we, you know, if we practice something for a while, we understand what that means. You know, progress is not what we want it to be. 
It moves in different directions at different times. And there are periods, long periods of feeling flat, like nothing is happening, like I'm not progressing, I'm not deepening. It's just an illusion. And if we buy into that illusion, we may quit practice. And that's a shame. That would be a pity. So we have to welcome frustrations. We have to welcome moments of feeling discouraged. We have to know how to work with that. And when we do know how to work with that, there is so much joy in knowing how to not take your own thoughts or frustration so seriously. It's absolutely beautiful to not take ourselves so seriously. In the Fukanza Zengi, Dogen says, the way is basically perfect and all-pervading. How could it be contingent upon practice and realization? The Dharma vehicle is free and untrammeled. What need, there, what need is there for concentrated effort? Indeed, the whole body is far beyond the world of dust. Who could believe in means to brush it clean? It is never apart from one, right where one is. What is the use of going off here and there, to practice, and you've heard that many times. And as Hakuin Song of Zazen, it opens with, from the beginning all beings are Buddha, like water and ice, without water, no ice, outside of us, no Buddha. So this is what we hear. But the words are meaningless, unless we know how to unify and feel what that means. To hear that you are Buddha means nothing. To embody Buddhahood. And then to forget about Buddhahood. That's what that means. Buddhas do not know that they are Buddhas. Practitioners do not know that they are practicing. To raise a question, am I going today to the Zendo or not, is to separate ourselves from practice. To get up and go without an inch, without a millimeter of gap, that is to be a practitioner. That's what it means. No room for one single thought. All, all thoughts are welcome to come and join you when you go to sit. Then all those thoughts about, well, I got a lot going on. 
I don't have time for this. All those thoughts just fade away. I don't have time to sit. I don't have time to practice. I'd like to remind you, remind us all, what Gandhi used to say when his days were very, very, very full and busy. He would say, today I'm very busy. I'm going to sit twice as long. Makes no sense. Makes no sense on one level, on another level. It makes perfect sense. And if you practice for a while, you understand both sides of this. We understand both sides. There seems to be a dichotomy, you know, between what we hear we are and how we feel. Right? Of course, there seems to be a dichotomy. There is the two sides of me, the one who knows and the one who gets lost. And the one who gets lost very quickly makes sense out of getting lost. And everybody experiences dichotomies, especially such dichotomies that people do it whether they're practicing or not, on a personal level. Maybe the imperfect, incomplete, and lacking me Right? The current version of me. And then there's the future version, which is perceived to be complete, satisfied, or finally at peace. When we get what we think we need. When that thing in me gets what it thinks it needs for completion. So again, who am I? Am I the future me that will become when circumstances and conditions are met? Or am I the one that is now sitting here longing for the other version of me? Who am I? Who are you? Now, be, being told that you're a Buddha doesn't make you feel better or solve any problems from the beginning. Everybody is a Buddha. So what does that mean? You know, there is this analogy of, of a lake or the ocean, on top of the ocean, right, gets very wavy at times. The waves are very choppy. At the bottom of the ocean, not much movement. All those waves up on top don't mean a whole lot at the bottom of the ocean. Is that true? Are the waves separated from the bottom of the ocean? And the practice is there to remind us that we are always one with, it's always one ocean. 
We just get caught up on the surface. That's why we use terms like shallow and deep, right? The shallow is not separated from the deep. It's just that we have, the attention is goes to the shallow and the depth is abandoned. Then, of course, sometimes we have time, sometimes we don't have time for practice. Sometimes this is important, sometimes something else is more important. But yet, when we recognize the depth and the stillness of the same ocean, on a daily basis, on a regular basis, we maintain deep, sustained practice, no matter what. We just don't forget. And when we don't forget, we don't take life so seriously. And when we don't take life so seriously, we become a lot better at caring for everything and everybody. because we don't waste energy. It is said when, that when you understand, you can make use of it wherever you are. If you do not understand, then the conventional truth prevails. When you understand that the waves on top are the same as the bottom, the depth, the stillness, then the waves are not seen as separated. And your conventional reality is not separated from your all-pervading Buddha nature. It's just that the all-pervading Buddha nature manifests as choppy waves, as turmoil, as challenges. One ocean, many appearances. And it says, when encountering circumstances and meeting conditions, it's necessary to turn them around and return them to oneself. To have no gaps at all times is called the ground of nature, bright and clear. To return everything to one, to cut all differences to one. You do that, you realize on the spot. And you're unified. And you're free. You're free to get dirty dealing with what you need to deal with. Don't worry about it. To find the purity in the mud, in the mess. Mumon said about this koan, if you realize the true one in this, you will understand that getting out of one husk and entering another is just like a traveler staying at a hotel. It's actually a 
nice story about the traveler and the hotel. This, uh, this monk went traveling and he ended up at this palace and he, <clears throat> he knocks on the door and he wants to see the king. And he, said, and he asked the king, may I stay in this hotel tonight? And the king got very upset. How dare you call this hotel? This is the palace and I'm the king. And he said, okay, well then let me explain. He said, before you were here, who lived in this palace? He said, well, that was my father. Well, where is he now? Well, he died. And before him, who lived here? Well, that was his father, but he died. And he said, that place where people come in and stay for a little while and then leave, isn't that a hotel? This body, what is it? We come in, we reside in it for a little while, and then we abandon it. What is it? Is that you? Is that not you? Shibayama says, it may be compared to a hermit crab that comes out of one shell and gets into another. For the one who lives his absolute subjectivity or the true self, the outer and inner sejo are neither one nor two, just the one true sejo. Neither one nor two. Shibayama also uses the analogy of the ocean and he says that the truth can be likened to the water itself and husks to hotels. Husks actually are like the waves. From the standpoint of the water, each wave is its form at a different time and place. And the fact that the waves are always water doesn't change. The waves are always water, no matter how they appear. Large, small, shallow, deep. Only the form changes. The essence is formless and therefore timeless, changeless, always manifests. And then he says, Mumon says, if you have not realized it, do not rush about wildly. Take your time. Practice. When earth, water, fire, and wind are suddenly about to decompose, you will be like he's talking about the moment of your death. When you suddenly about to decompose, you will be like a crab which has fallen into boiling water and is struggling with his seven arms and eight legs. At that time, do not say, I did not warn you. Time swiftly passes by and opportunity is lost. Do not squander your life. Practice now, awaken now. Do not give an inch for a thought to enter. Grab you, swallow you. The verses, the clouds and the moon are the same. Valleys and mountains are different from each other. Right? Same and different. 
non-dual, same and different. Or another way, to say same and to say different is redundant. You can call it same, you can call it different. You can call it one, you can call it many. It's just this. Was this four time? Was it one, two, three, four? One, 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 one. Choose. Or don't. Now, different states of being are of the same one nature. Happy, sad, encouraged, discouraged. Do we see the colorless within all colors? Or are we blind to the colorlessness and therefore get lost in, well, today I don't have time. You know, it's so easy. It's so easy. to get lost in everyday life. It's so easy to take it seriously. It's so easy to create stories and drown in them and convince ourselves and convince others that it is true. And it is true, conventionally. But without an understanding, the conventional reality prevails. It will prevail. It will become the dominant factor in our lives. Towards the absolute reality, do we turn away from one to go look for the other? Or do we see that the other and that one are not two? After his realization, Goso, Master Goso, who appears in this, in this koan, <clears throat> he wrote a poem and he said, Before the mountains spread the plain, repeatedly with folded hands, I asked the elders. They sold to me so many times and yet I purchased more. Just to know that pine and bamboo bring forth cloudless wind. How many times we buy and sell to ourselves, from ourselves? How many times we convince ourselves that this is true? Now that is true. And when do we stop doing that? When do we realize it never ever gets better than this? That this is the truth, not a lie. As we chant. This is the truth, not a lie. How is it that we get so lost 
And how is it that we can find it, recognize it, align ourselves with it, only to get lost again tomorrow? Once the Buddha walked with his congregation and then he stopped pointing to the ground and said, this would be a good place to build a sanctuary. And Indra took a blade of grass, stuck it in the ground and said, the sanctuary is built, my teacher. Yeah. And then the footnote says, repairs will not be easy. Yeah, this is it. Repairs will not be easy. That is, that footnote is really everything we need to know. Yeah, you're a Buddha, fine, great. The maintenance, the work, the practice, day in, day out. It is saying that will not be easy. And this is what we have inherited and this is what we are, we are passing on to future generations. How do we maintain it today? How do we pass it on to future generations? Now that one year is coming to an end, another year is going to begin, what do we do with it? What have we learned? What have we learned from our own practice? And how are we going to enter the next moment? What are we buying and selling? What are we selling and buying to ourselves, from ourselves? Wake up to that. Some of you are here, many of you may listen to that Teisho. We're all doing it together. We're all liable for one another. We're all the Sangha. When you come, the whole world shows up with you, comes with you. When you don't come, it's the same. Remember, repairs will not be easy. Maintain it well. 